Cyrus, the king of Persia. And we know Persia is in our, that's Iran, that's where Persia at. And Cyrus was a great king, and I think we're going to take a couple of weeks on Cyrus here. And Cyrus is at the end of chapter 44 of Isaiah, and at the beginning of the 45th chapter of Isaiah. But Cyrus is sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. He's in Second Chronicles 36, 22, and 23. Where it says, Now in the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus, King of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, King of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdoms and put also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, King of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord of, God, of heaven given me, and he had charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up and help them build. I'm going to have to sprinkle the history of Cyrus and things about Cyrus kind of throughout the teaching and of Sabbath day services. <clears throat> but Cyrus was a good king. He was a human he was one of the most humane kings that dealt with the people of the nations differently than the rest of the kings and the king of Babylon or whatever. But Cyrus, we know, is the king that Isaiah named some 140, almost 200 years before his birth. His name was mentioned in the scriptures at that time that even during this time here, during the proclamation that Jeremiah had prophesied and he said that they were going to be in Babylon 70 years. And they were looking at some of the scriptures here where Cyrus was named the king that would establish this because the Lord, he's the only king that was called Messiah. In other words, the Lord's anointed. He's a type of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, what he did here, this proclamation in Second Chronicles, it's in Israel. It's in Isaiah, but a lot of people try to take away from what he did or whatever. But he established, had a new way of reselling the kingdoms of the nation that he conquered. And he would write it in their God's name. And a lot of politicians do it today to whatever crowd they're with. They try to name that God or what they worship. You know, if you're talking with Catholics, you talk about something Look, that goes along with Catholic doctrine, or with the Baptists, or with the Muslim Muslims, or with those that you know worship Buddha or whatever God that is. And he had a list in his cylinder where he had a kind of a letter where he addressed the gods that he was sending the people back to, or whatever, because he repatriated them back to the countries in which they came from not taking anything away from him in that that a lot I heard a lot of preaching and teaching on that or whatever. But that was his style. That's the way he did things. Not that he knew Jehovah or served God, but God moved upon him to do this. And it says that he had not known him, but it was in God's sovereign will for a Gentile king to accomplish this. This says clearly that God was able to stir up the spirit of Cyrus. And we know that God talked with Pharaoh, that God talked with 
Abimelech and that God talked with Balaam. God is sovereign. So it's really in Isaiah, we look at the sovereignty of God's and God's providence in dealing with his people. There's no indication that Cyrus was aware that it was God stirring up his spirit. You know, like Nebuchadnezzar had a dream or Pharaoh had a dream. And they knew of God. You remember Babylon and when they were looking in the furnace and Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't we throw in three? It says he see four and one looks like the son of God. It's kind of like the pagan people out there. Our relatives are different people that don't attend church or don't have an intimate relationship or fellowship with Jesus Christ. They know of Christ, but they don't know Christ. If they knew Christ and had a relationship with them, their life would be different. They would be conducting themselves different. So it's a different thing from knowing a person than knowing of a person. So everybody know of Jesus Christ, but he's not... He said he never knew some of the people, though. So that's why he says they served him, and they would say, well, didn't we do these things in your name or whatever? He said, well, I never knew you because there was no sort of relationship, a fellowship with the two. He just was motivated, or somehow he was motivated to issue this proclamation. But it was God's spirit imposed upon him. His spirit communicates with our spirit. Uh, he may have thought the idea really came from him or from one of his advisors or something. And we know that the Assyrian king, he did all of God's purpose of what God wanted him to do to take his people into exile, to kill certain people, just like he motivated this guy to shoot an arrow to kill Ahab. Well, it wasn't that this was this guy's intention or anything, but it was to God's purposes this would happen. Well, Assyria had a wicked king. that They had a very wicked king, and he fulfilled all of God's purposes, not that he was a servant of God. Pharaoh, God raised him up for the purposes of destroying him and do what he had purposed for him to do to him. Uh, but so sometimes we have to look at it that's where we get in, I want to say that that's where we have to start listening at what that something that says to us. That's when we become awoken or aware that God's spirit has come into our lives. And see, that spirit uh, come into us and dwell into us. Those, those that are indwelt by the spirit of God, those that you start learning to listening at that spirit, and stop doing things that are against that spirit or quenching that spirit, or things that cause that communication to be murmured. You know, like if you're sitting around watching television or playing with the computers or in conversation with your friends or other people during the day or doing other things, God kind of gets drowned it out. But sometimes if Something moves you and you say, well, you know, and you pay attention. That's why it says examine yourself or be aware of yourself. You become conscious of something within you or something moving you to do certain things or do things. Not, now you're aware of the other that's within you. So Cyrus wasn't aware. It says he didn't know him. But 
sometime when you act upon that awareness, and that's what Christians do, that's how they come into a relationship with God. So something that's moving you or whatever, it may move you to pray. It may move you to read the scriptures. It may move you to do certain things. Well, the more you act upon that, the more intimate that relationship or that fellowship with Christ comes. But if you're not reading your Bible daily, if you just put it to the side and the world comes in, what you could be more aware of? What's going on in Facebook, right? What's going on in social media? What's going on on television? What's going on with the computer games and the things that they... Because that's what you focused upon. Whatever you focused upon, that's what becomes large in your life. You know, if, if it's a pain, you could have a pain. or You could be thinking about people doing you wrong. A lot of times that's how depression comes in because you focus upon people never pay attention to you. Uh, these people are, are loving this person or being with this person more than me. Nobody cares about me. And you, you didn't put yourself in a state of depression because that's what you focused upon. So God tells us to focus upon him, to meditate in his word day and night, to pray unto him, to stir up. That's what he told Timothy to stir up the gift. When he's saying the gift, that was the spirit of the gift of God. But you have to be aware of God, or you have to be aware of that spirit. And that's why those that he give, if you hear preaching and preaching comes about, you have to act upon those things that you have heard. That seed of faith, it's not going to grow if you don't Act upon it. You have to water that thing with prayer. You have to be a doer. You have to start doing what it says or where it's leading you because that's why he gave you that spirit to guide you and lead you into the truth. And it will guide you and lead you into all truth unless you're holding back. You know, okay, that's enough truth for me today or whatever. I need to spend more hours doing this. I need to do this. You know, I need, a lot of times I shy away from things. I'll hurry and eat. I'll hurry and do things. I'll hurry and get away from around some people or whatever, because it's nothing evil or wickedness in that of them things of themselves. It's normal everyday occurrences. But that's why he says the weights and sin that's besetting us from running the race. So sometimes the things that cause us to be idle or slowfulness causes us not to be good workers of the Lord because that thing in the back of our mind says redeeming the time because the days are evil. So a lot of us, we can't crowd enough things into one day. You know, where did the time go? You know, I still have a lot of things to do. Okay, so Cyrus was moved. He stirred up the spirit within Cyrus. This verse also suggests that our spirits can be communicated with or with our being, with with or without us being aware of it. But God wakens our consciousness, uh, our awareness to be aware of His presence. Paul had gotten so far into this. I've heard a, one one time Jimmy Swaggin was preaching on this when he was preaching his series of the cross or whatever. And for some reason, I just didn't agree with him or go along with that or whatever. And I've heard of many other preachers that preached on this same thing from Romans. That Yeah, Paul was a Christian when he wrote this. And that's why he said 
he was aware of something within his members. In other words, it was him. It was his consciousness. It was his humanity. It was his flesh that was trying to bring him into bondage to the law of sin and death. He said, I'm aware of another, see this spirit, this consciousness, this thing that's in your members, you have to put it to death. The spirit of God, the word of God, God makes you aware of it and you have to mortify your body. It's an effort. It takes an effort to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after him. It takes an effort. Well, no, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to sit down and take my time. with. I don't have time. I have to eat on the run. Well, I can't sit down and watch this all day or whatever. Uh, someone was talking to me the other day about, you know, whether their husband was watching more television after they were married than before they were married. And I was telling them that I understand about the television part or whatever, because as Paul said in Corinthians, such were some of us. So I used to watch television and watch the double headers and everything, but now they don't hold any meaning to me. My son was talking, and he's a television freak when it comes to football season. You can work, get him to work all long, year long, but when the Cowboys or some of them teams playing, don't don't look for him to do it. He's not that much in the college football. But God says those are the things He come after. Those are idols, and those could become idols in our lives when we put. But we we start to be aware that there's a greater presence or influence in us when we start discounting those items. When we start being able to lay them aside, you start being aware. This is something that I really used to love to do. I don't love it as much anymore. This this could be harmful to me. I was throwing away some coupons that, that came in the mail today, and I was looking at was some to... Popeyes or churches or something. And I said, well, no, I don't really eat that chicken that much anymore. I used to be a, you know, fried chicken Popeyes or churches, whether you're hungry or not, that smell can make you stop in and get them. But it's, it's kind of vulgar to me now. I, it, you would ha- I, it would have to be, I would have to go in there and see them fried and fresh, but even nowadays they don't do that right a lot of times. It makes you even hate the chicken. But the idea is, that I do eat chicken from time to time, a fried chicken, but I see that it could be bad for me. Mm. I'm aware of this thing that these things that I used to, you see what I'm saying? Mm. So you have to start being aware of things about yourself, aware of some of the things you used to be, and what do you have to put to death, or aware of what's guiding and leading you. There's a spirit within man that God's put within man to communicate with his spirit. And the more we yield ourselves unto that spirit, the louder it gets. To it leads us and guides us and it increases our faith. But if we listen to that other spirit that's like the snooze alarm, say lay down a little bit while longer, you know, just lay down a few minutes, you, you can lay down another half an hour. Times go go by. And then you'll say, well, no, I can't do nothing the rest of the day. I ain't going to be able to do nothing or whatever. And then you'll call. You'll stop. You won't get to moving. But 
if you get up at a certain time and say, I have to do this, I'm going to press on or whatever, that spirit gets so common in you, it becomes part of your life and you find out that you're naturally going early in the morning when you're getting up or you're moving. You know not to lay down. You not, know not to hold, this, to hold your body. So this spirit that was in Cyrus, I don't think he ever got acquainted with it or knew of it, but God spurred, stirred up his spirit and communicated with his spirit at that time. But as I was telling you, Second Timothy, where he says 1 and 6, to stir up the spirit within us, and we have to stir up God's spirit sometime and not suppress that spirit. Amen. We talk about in Romans those that suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We talk about Jeremiah who he says he wasn't going to say anything for the Lord anymore, but the spirit was like fire in him. It rose up. It's the spirit itself. Romans eight sixteen says the spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we, as if we are believers, that we are the children of God. Sometimes it could be doubtful or whatever, but other things assure you there's a different assurances in your life. I tell you, Ezra spoke of this also about the Cyrus, this decree. But in Ezra 1 and 5, it states that God also stirred the spirit of the Jews, the Levites, and the Benjamites to return to the land, uh, to return to Jerusalem to build the temple, confirming his sovereignty over the whole affair. So, until God stirs up the people to come back to his church, to come back and build, God has to do that. A lot of times you don't know what, you know, you sometimes say, I don't know what got into me. That's why God has to be upon you, giving you a knowledge of him. That's him calling you. That's him inspiring you. That's him that's pushing you. And that's why we have to realize, what is this I'm hearing? I'm not sure if it's like, when God was calling uh, Samuel and he didn't know what it was and he kept going back later and Eli said, well, when he calls next time, say, here I am, Lord, here I am. And when he said that, when he replied. So once we start replying to God, once we start praying and talking to God, because he's calling us, he's calling his people. And that's what Jesus came to do, to call back the lost. Cyrus was a type of Christ that call that God put it in him to tell his people to return back to Jerusalem, that God had declared this unto him, made a proclamation, and that anybody wanted to go, to go back and do this. So in, in a way, he was a type of Christ. He released their bonds. He freed them because it was Cyrus, and I talk more about that Saturday, was the one that conquered Babylon. He conquered Babylon He and reached Isaiah 44 and the beginning of Isaiah 45 that God says he was going to go with him. He was going to be up with Cyrus to dry up the river Euphrates and go in and conquer Babylon. Well, when he conquered Babylon, he told the people to go back and build a temple to their God, to go back to worship their God. Anybody that want to and to provide fun. Well, that's what Jesus do. He releases us from the work of the world, from the bondage in the world. You remember, he had redeemed us. He had set us free in him, and so he frees us to go back and build the house of God. We're free to go back and build the temple of God. 
he had released us from the bondage of the world. He calls us out of Babylon. Babylon no longer has a hold on us. So Cyrus freed them. Babylon no longer had a hold on them. So Israel distinctly says that God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus to perform this task and that Cyrus claimed that God had commanded him. God moves upon people and they, they don't necessarily have to have an intimate relationship with God because God is sovereign. He does as he will and all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And so as God moves up on them, just like he's, Pharaoh says, well, God told me that that was your wife and that you get on out of here because you could, that's what you're causing the problem here. Mm-hmm. And see, God says he creates good and he creates evil. He, he causes calamity. Well, he was causing this problem with Abraham that Abraham was causing because he wouldn't let the people in Abimelech's nation uh, reproduce. The wounds would drive the women or whatever, and they noticed that they had a problem, and God said, that's your problem right there if you will get him out of there. So sometimes God talks to us. So when a lot of times people say God told them this, God could have told them that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're godly now. God moved up on Laban. He told Laban not to hurt Jacob, do anything to Jacob. And Laban pursued Jacob, but he said that your God told me this. And he said, I just wanted to kiss my grandchildren and my daughters before they go away. Understand, however, that we will not always be blind to this or insensitive to it. That's what we need to do learn of the God that had released us. And I told you earlier that it's a lot of people that know Jesus, but they're not making an attempt to get to know him, to to be his disciple, to continue in his word. They know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They can do a lot of good works of things, but they're independent of Jesus. It is God's intention that we become very sensitive to the fact that something or someone is trying to communicate with us on a level that is not discernible by the eye. It's by faith. It's by his spirit that he communicates through his word. He speaks to us through his word. But how do you know if it's the spirit of God that's saying these things if you don't know the word of God? If you're not asking God to lead you and guide you, how you know he's fulfilling your dreams and hopes and the things that you desire of if those desires are not in line with his will? Because if it's in line with his will, if it's for his purposes, Jesus says anything we ask, ask the Father in his name and the Father would do that. But the only way we can do that is to know his word. To get to know the spirit. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me. You have to learn of a person. If a husband and a wife don't strive to get to know one another, you could be married for years in the intimacy. It may not be there to where you know all of the secret things that you had that time of communication where they tell you of your most intimate things. That's how a lot of friends are. They are vulnerable to one another because 
they tell one another things about themselves and their family. It's a personal relationship. That's why some friends are closer than other friends are. That's why sometimes people are closer with friends of other people than they are with their brothers and sisters or people within their own family because it's something familiar with that person that they identify with and can talk to. Nonetheless, our spirit can be stirred to go in a certain direction for good or bad. A lot of people say the spirit of the Lord will do that person know the spirit of the Lord because if you're talking necromancy, you're talking about certain things. I remember one pastor that was at a church that I was in or whatever and saying, well, my mother had told him some things, had said some things to him and, and to tell him this. I ended up leaving that church because, hey, my mama did. If she told you, you talking to dead people there. And that's against the Bible. Necromancy is against the Bible. So when, you remember Peter said, Jesus told Peter and him not to tell anybody about that transfiguration to after, you know, they didn't tell to afterward because, you know, you're talking about Moses and Elijah and you're talking to dead people, you have a problem here because we know this is not scripture. That That's why with the witch at Endor and Saul and when he called up Samuel, you know, a lot of people have problems with those scriptures there. We need to begin to realize that we may or may not be aware that our spirit is being communicated with. Mm. We have to learn that whether it's being communicated with and who's communicating with and what for. That's why a lot of people talk about going to seances and going to some church and going. Spiritualism is a very dangerous thing. You remember I told you about this guy, Kanye West or whatever, and the people that were following him, and Bethany hosted an event that he had here and all that, and I didn't change his name to Yee. And, well, just the other week, you remember I told you how far left he's going, I mean, how far off the cliff he's going. Now he's saying things about the Jewish people against the Jewish people. A year or two ago, you were saying that you was Jesus Christ, close to the Messiah. You was wanting to be a preacher, and you're singing all these songs and things. Watch Christianity, watch spiritualism, and watch all these things because God will turn you over to a reprobate mind, and you can't see how full you didn't go in any other direction. Be careful of these things. Ezra 4 and 3 says, But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the chief fathers of Israel said unto them, you have uh, nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had commanded us. Because when people see you doing things for God, they want a part of it. That's why there are mega churches and everything now, because Satan wants in. Satan ministers are being transformed to ministers of light. That's one of the biggest events it is now. Christian music and Christianity and these things, Satan wants in. Satan's ministers are being transformed into ministers of light. Nehemiah and them wouldn't allow him to build with them. The Spirit of God, these are the people that God had moved to come back and build the house of God. But he was telling Sanballat and the rest of them that 
you have no part in this building with us or whatever. And that's what we need to see in building and inviting new converts and people in. We have to be aware that everybody that says, Lord, Lord, or everybody that talks the name of Jesus that comes to the church are not what they say they are. They're a lot of children of the devil. And we have to understand and see these things. The shepherd analogy. Remember, we talked about shepherds and I talked about shepherds and leaders a while back. Isaiah 44 and 28. We just, this is the chapter we were on and finishing up. Isaiah 44 and 28 says that's, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. God through Isaiah named him at least 143 years before he came along. This is one of the things that Daniel used. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that when they went back, that was one of the things that Daniel did. He showed Cyrus his name prophesied in the book of Isaiah and in the other books of him come that it would be Cyrus by name. That's why a lot of people say Isaiah was written by two or three different authors and it's no way that they could have gotten his prophecy this precise to name Cyrus said Cyrus name was shown to him. But see, if you read 42, 43, 44, and 45, it's about God says he had did this all by himself, that he tells the end from the beginning, from the end, the end from the beginning, that he created it all, he know it all, and he had spoke this in former times, that he had already said these things, and that, and Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah, the 24th chapter, in the 26th verse, he said he was going to frustrate these people. And it's just like the people now that's prophesying and speaking of a great revival and all of these things. God frustrates a lot of the naysayers and the soothsayers and people advocating that Babylon was going to stand for years and years and it was going to be the society to look up to, just like people talking about this nation and the strength of this nation or whatever. But how about the ones that saying that this nation will fall? They're the ones that look like they kind of doubtful because I'm among those. With the strength of this nation and the vitality and the military thing, it don't look like that this nation is teetering on the edge. But if you, in the spiritual realm, and if God's working with you, you can see these things coming to pass. You can see it slowly developing before you. And that God had told Cyrus this, and this was exactly right. It was right on cue. What God did through Cyrus also fulfills a prophecy made through Jeremiah. We know Jeremiah was a prophet after Isaiah. He wasn't contemporary with Isaiah, but it was before the captivity but he was the one that prophesied that they would go in captivity. And that's one of the reasons they told him in the cistern that he was speaking against the nation at that time. And we know that Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah during the time 
of that end of that 70 years. And he was telling the people and he was praying to God for restoration of the people. Now I tell you about it Saturday, but Daniel didn't go back with them when they were going back. He's not listed among the captives. And if we look and read the Bible, we can see where Daniel served under Cyrus. But even though that, he also served under Darius, the king that was after Cyrus. But we know it was Daniel that he served under four different kings because we know he served under Nebuchadnezzar because he's the one that gave, told us of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We also know that Daniel served under his Nebuchadnezzar's grandson because it was Daniel that wrote, read, that read or prophesied about the handwriting that was on the wall, many, many taka Yusufar, and that that was prophesied that Cyrus came in that, that very night. Cyrus drained the river. He had deterred the river so it would flow. The river Euphrates, I talk about that Saturday, where I could elaborate on it a little bit more on Sunday and Wednesday about this river Euphrates. Hopefully someone will remind me about that. But he diverted the river. But it was Daniel that prophesied that. But we see Daniel there. Uh, Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, the 11th through the 14th verse, uh, after Isaiah's death, Daniel, Jeremiah says, And this whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. After this times of the Gentiles, God's going to punish these nations. He's going to judge all of the nations. That's why he calls us out of Babylon. But there's a restoration. There's a starting of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's why Cyrus was a type of Christ there. That he frees the people. This was a Gentile king that freed the people. Finishing with Jeremiah's prophecy before I get too far off on a tangent. He will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, said the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words, which I've pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah had prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the work of their own hands. So this was spoken of by Jeremiah telling his people that was after the death of after the death of Isaiah, Manasseh had sought Isaiah in half. But as Isaiah had prophesied about Cyrus. But here Jeremiah prophesies and tell the people, yep, God said y'all go into captivity. Y'all go to Babylon. Anybody that's resisting and thing, God's going to punish y'all. Y'all go into captivity, build houses, pray for Babylon, and live there. They intertwine with Babylon's government, with Babylon's people, and a lot of the Jews didn't want to come back. Ezra and Nehemiah I know a lot of people don't like reading books that are like the Chronicles, uh, or like Levit- no, the book of Numbers, 
But if you look, that's why I say Daniel's name is not listed in Ezra and Nehemiah's coming back with the captives. But he lists each and every family and individual, not each, you know, name by name, but some of the names and families, they are there to show you that God knows where you are. He knows the hairs of your head are numbered. He knows who's coming back, who's going to serve where. So you're not lost in the crowd. God knows where you are. God's sovereign. All this is in the sovereignty of God. So some of them came back, but some of them liked the Babylonian way. They liked it the world. There are a lot of people that are being called out of the world, but not coming out of the world now. They love darkness rather than light. They love their pleasures in the life they're living. They're not ready to give up the world. Remember, Demas had forsaken Paul for this present world. Love not the world. We have to be aware of that. Isaiah, the 45th chapter, the first verse. I want to go on there just a minute or two. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. He said, the Lord's anointed? To Cyrus, whose right hand I have holding up to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open for, before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Babylon was a fortress city. It was fortified. and We talked about the walls of Babylon and the strength of Babylon and just how great Babylon was. But the people didn't like the Babylonian leader, the Bel- Belshazzar and somebody. Bel- and Cyrus had appealed to them. But that night, that's why I say, is it a conspiracy or what? Because the gates were open. Cyrus and his men diverted the Euphrates River and they walked along the riverbank and they walked right into the city. The gates opened Belchazer was there drinking out of the vessels and those vessels that were stored there was the vessels of God. When when Cyrus told him to return, Cyrus made sure all of those vessels was counted and returned back to the house of the Lord. But that's the day, that's the night that his number was up. His kingdom had been numbered. Daniel had told him, Daniel had read the writing on the wall. It should immediately be apparent from the context that God's use of his, the word, his anointing, is not restricted as commonly assumed. Doesn't he say, touch that, not my prophets and do my anointed no harm? This word anointed is not used carelessly here now. The Hebrew word Masha, which has come down to us as Messiah and translated as Christus in Greek. And that is, who is Chris? Christus? Koresh? That name? Koresh? David Koresh mean anything to you? See, he was calling himself a miniature Christ there. You know, and I've heard it was when the preacher was saying that he was a seven day Adventist. But he had a great following in behind him. And you remember, that's the place that the FBI or something went in and burned that place up and killed all those people in. Beware of strange religion. But Christ has said there'll be many an antichrist, many a messiah come. 
these idols. Beware of the leaders and the people that you follow. And that's why I say, I think we have an anti-Christian nation that's rising up under the name of Christian nationalism. It's not Christ, but it's saying that it's Christ. But this is that other Jesus Paul was talking about. Because we now use this term exclusively, exclusively for Jesus, the Messiah, many have failed to realize just the breadth of the meaning of that word. Because you remember Saul told Abishai that wanted to go kill Saul. And David says, you should not touch the Lord's anointed. That's a, that's a problem here now. If you go and that's a child of God, we have to be aware of, of who we touch and what we do. Mashah simply means anointed, anointed one. I'm not pronouncing that right now. I tried to get it. I have to go back. But that dictionary don't pronounce foreign words or other words. But I'm find some that say Hebrew words, but may not be right. I got it on there. You can look at it. The Old Testament writers use it and its very form, Masan, to describe kings. That is, David, Saul, even Gentile kings like Haziel. That's 2 Samuel 1, 14, 12 and 7, 1 Kings 19 and 15, and priests, including the high priest, that's Leviticus 4 and 3 and 5, and prophets, 1 Kings 19 and 16, Isaiah 61 and 1. Normally, these people were anointed with oil in a ritual as a sign of being set apart for the office that they were about to fill. Thus, at the most basic, Messiah indicates a person God authorizes and sets apart for service. The type of service can vary. Obviously, kings, priests, and prophets fill very different roles, though some anointed ones have fulfilled more than one role. They've did different things. Uh, David, for example, was both a king and a prophet. You remember He wrote the book of Psalms, and David was a prophet also. Samuel and Jeremiah were priests and prophets. Samuel and Jeremiah were priests and prophets. Jesus Christ is the only anointed one to fulfill all three roles as well as that of an apostle. You know, Jesus Christ in Revelation is called the chief apostle. And that's the center apostle. You know, there's only 12 apostles. But Jesus Christ would be the chief apostle. One aspect of these roles begin to stand out as God's revelation unfolds through the Bible deliverance. We can see that this most clearly in the text Jesus recites to inaugurate his ministry in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and Luke 4, 16 through 21. That, okay, uh, Jesus explicitly confirms in Luke. 421 that he fulfilled these verses at least up to the first part that's when he spoke half the verse but that other half the verse would be fulfilled at his second coming uh upon his return as king of kings and lord of lords he would fulfill the balance of that verse that he spoke and i said in the book of luke even his name joshua uh, jesus means savior a deliverer, and God frequently calls them, calls things and people what they are, 
and so do. So that's why Cyrus was a type of Christ. He delivered his people. He was a savior of his of God's people. You understand? He was a type. Now we can be try to be types of Christ. We're supposed to follow his example. So we through our, through the gospel we help set people free. We help make disciples. We do all of these things. It's according to where your faith, that level of faith is leading you and God's anointing. But like I say, without work, without applying yourself, you won't get there. There are some people God hadn't designed for that. Maybe you work a job every day and doing all this, but you have to work at the station where God had called you. But if there's a higher calling in your life, You'll achieve it or you'll move that way because the Spirit doesn't call us in vain. And I told one of my sons, Marcus, to start reading that book, The Road Less Traveled, and there's three books in that line. But there's something inside of people that God puts in their hearts and mind to, that's a drive that he puts there like, Paul said that it was in Timothy and that he had laid on the gift, laid this up on Timothy and that this was within Timothy. Mm. It was like Michael Jordan used to press himself or whatever, and he knew he was destined for greatness and that he could play basketball, he can do these things. So even though his coach, the first coach didn't let him play on the team or whatever, that didn't hinder him. He still went on to be one of the greatest basketball players that ever was. There are certain things. That's why, you know, I never tell my children or whatever. I says, be led by the Spirit of the Lord. Get in the church. Get into God. Worship God. He's going to direct and guide you. He, there was a purpose he created each and every one of us for. That's why it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Are you seeking the Lord every day? What's your meditation upon it? Are, what are the things that you're thinking about most every day? Because it says the Spirit, the, the Word of God says, God is not in all of their thoughts. If why are you watching television, if you're not trying to draw the spiritual implications out of that, if why are you working on red lights or whatever you do, if why you you're being a judge, a lawyer, a doctor, by being a housewife, by being a, a person that's emptying trash cans, someone that's working on whatever you do, you're doing it as unto the Lord, and you should be meditating on the word of God and that God has you doing that. You should be praying unto God. If that's not the foremost and that's not increasing in you, you're not trying to be filled with the Lord, and you may end up at that lower level because those that seek, they will be rewarded. He says he does reward every person according to their work. So don't think that he's just going to give this to the lazy and the laid back and the slowful. Be careful of what we're laboring for. Now, I'm not promoting self-ambition. It's just the Spirit drives us, and that's what motivates us. It's the Spirit upon us. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts. That's why I say Cyrus wasn't aware of what was driving him or motivating him, but this was of good, and since it was of God, it did come to pass. 
in short, this word anointed, a Messiah, has three primary parts here. It describes a person whom God sets apart for his service. Such a person may fill one or more roles in his service, and his primary function is to cause deliverance. So what are we commissioned to do as little Cyruses? He says, go ye into all of the world, making disciples, preaching and teaching. That's what breaks the yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. The, the anointing and the preaching of God's word. It loosens the chains, that the ties that bind us to this world. And he had given Peter that power, but not Peter only. What you bind here on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We loose according to the word of God, but there are some things that are bound by that word now. So whom he blessed, he blessed, whom he cursed, he cursed. Don't let someone like Balaam come in and try to bind you. You have to seek the Lord. You continually with fear and trembling, working out your salvation. As strange as it may seem, Cyrus, king of Persia, qualifies as a Messiah. He qualifies in those areas. And we'll talk more about South. Uh, prophecies concerning Cyrus, again, uh, Isaiah 13, 17 through 22, uh, chapter 21 and 2, 41 and 2. Uh, chapter 44 and 28, chapter 45, 1 through 4 and 13, uh, chapter 46 and 11, Isaiah 48, 14 and 15. God chooses Cyrus, a Persian leader who allowed Jewish exiles to return home. The Persian ruler, and that's Iran, as I said. That's why we have to be aware what's going on in Iran. You know, Iran is supplying some of the weapons to Russia that's fighting against Ukraine. They rose up against Syria. All of these has biblical implications. That river Euphrates, you'll see it mentioned again in the book of Revelation. But I think it's symbolism in there about, if we look at the end of chapter 44 of Isaiah, about God that's going to go before them to dry up the rivers. Mm -hmm. That dry up these rivers. And I think in Revelations, and I've heard it preached, and I've seen it in some commentaries or whatever, this Euphrates River and, and the water that's coming in like the flood that he's going to dry up is false doctrine. It's false doctrine. And the apostate church, he's going to remove that. That's why I say, like Cyrus came in and loosed the people. The people, the Jewish people didn't do anything to loose themselves. Cyrus loosed him. He was a type of Messiah. We didn't do anything to loose ourselves. Jesus loosed us. We, we could try to tie that in one of these times. I hope y'all hear, but it says that tear down this temple and he'll build it again in three days. So spiritually, he was a Cyrus. You understand why it's a type of Cyrus? Spiritually, he set God's people free. This living temple that he's building, a temple made without hands, it sets God's people free. He's the actual redeemer. God gives the foreigner Cyrus God's own little thing, God's work to do a striking sign of work in all peoples everywhere. 
uh, I think uh, 